Hi there, it's Melvin. Just wanted to take a moment to thank the team over at Thryzer for supporting this month's podcast sessions. Thryzer is a payment platform that you have to check out if you are a private pay therapist and accepting out-of-network benefits. It basically helps clients save on therapy up front. Thryzer can help verify a client's out-of-network benefit ahead of the first session so that they get transparency up front on what their out-of-pocket costs will be. I'll tell you more about Thryzer here in the middle of our session, but if you go to sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thryzer, you actually end, then enter the code STC upon sign up, you get your first $2,500 in fees waived. Again, that's over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thryzer, and be sure to enter the promo code STC. So we'll jump right into today's podcast session. Hey, this is Melvin. We're actually on break from the Selling the Couch podcast, but I thought it would be fun just to share some of the most popular episodes as well as some of my most favorite episodes from uh, Selling the Couch. We've had over 200 episodes now, and I know that for me, listening to some of these old episodes, I always pick up something and learn something new. So I hope that you enjoy today's session. Before we do get to today's session, I just wanted you to encourage you to check out the Selling the Couch directory if you haven't had a chance. Uh, Basically, the directory makes it easier for us to connect and support one another as we grow our businesses. So after you register and you sign up, you you can create a profile that lets us know more about your practice, the good work that you're doing in the world, uh, the unique niches that you serve, niches beyond just a traditional DSM diagnosis, uh, groups and workshops and retreats and areas of consultation, all of those different things. And after you fill that out, um, it's actually way uh, easier than it sounds. But uh, after you fill it out, your practice gets placed on a Google map. That way, fellow couchies can find you in order to cross-refer clients. If they need a consult on a certain area, they can do that as well. Um, One of the things that we actually have been working on that I'm just like really excited about um, with this recent update is we created a custom cross-refer tool. Um, So if you look on any of these online communities, a lot of times you'll see, you know, hey, I'm looking for, you know, a clinician that that lives in this area, that accepts this insurance, that, you know, works with millennials. And so we thought, why not just make it easy and create a tool to do this? So you basically can run just some filters so you can, you know, ask questions like that. And you click just a a number of different things and you get search results. um, And it makes the process of just cross-referring a lot easier. You can learn more about the directory over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash directory. And please enter the promo code podcast for your first month absolutely free. We'll get right to today's session. Here we go. Hello, hello. Welcome to session 180 of Selling the Couch. Hope you're having a wonderful start to your day. Uh, So today's podcast episode is on a topic that I know intimidates a lot of us, which is keeping accurate records for our businesses. My guest today is Greg Higdon from Grow the Books, and we're talking all about the biggest bookkeeping records, our bookkeeping mistakes that clinicians in private practice make. I know that this topic is one that 
can be intimidating, but my hope that is that with today's podcast episode that it makes it a little bit more manageable and especially some of the more common mistakes that many of us make. For example, things like mixing business and personal bank accounts and why that's not a good idea and what's sort of the better way to do it. And even things like, you know, what if I go to the store and I have some personal expenses and then I have some business expenses? How do I sort of categorize that and how do I fulfill that transaction? So fun and interesting questions like that. I think you're going to really enjoy this episode. It's uh, chock full of really good information. Hey friends, we are on sabbatical from the STC podcast. This is my first sabbatical in seven years, but we will be back in April with brand new episodes of the STC podcast. In the meantime, there are a lot of things happening still with STC. Uh, Among them is a brand new workshop that we put together for you that you can sign up at a date and time that works for you. If you are a successful private practitioner and interested in launching an online course, you can check out that workshop over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash online course workshop. Again, that's sellingthecouch.com forward slash online course workshop. Hey, Greg, welcome to Selling the Couch. Hey, Melvin. Thanks for having me on your podcast. Yeah, no, it's uh, so good to finally connect. I told you right before I get started, I'm a big fan of Kelly. Shout out to Kelly. Yeah. <laughs> shout out to uh, Kelly. <laughs> yeah. Kelly got Definitely. a double shout out. I know I was so excited um, when she reached out. And then when you just shared about some of the things that you do, because I feel like the world of bookkeeping and just keeping records and that sort of aspect of, of the business, I, I know for me, it's really intimidating. And I know that for a lot of my colleagues, it's oh, yeah. the thought of bookkeeping is just like, it's almost like, I wish I could just be an ostrich and put my head in the sand. <laughs> yeah, I know. I have clients like that. Yeah. So I wanted to start at the top, which I'm glad you said that because, well, what exactly is bookkeeping? Just so that we're all on the same page. Yeah. So basically a bookkeeper keeps track of daily transactions in your business. Hmm. And I do that through bookkeeping software that connects to your bank accounts and connects to PayPal or Stripe. And it kind of keeps track of each of your um, transactions you have. And then a bookkeeper goes in and categorizes all the transactions according to what type of expense they are. And if there's some sort of maybe it's owner's draw, you're taking money out of your business and just kind of organizes all that. And eventually what you're getting to by doing this is the financial statements, like your profit and loss statement or your balance sheet or your cash flow. So you kind of know where your money's going in your business. That's so interesting. So daily transactions, it could be like, for example, for for clinicians, it could be the money that's generated through a client that you see, but it could also be related to like business expenses as well, right? Oh, that's correct. Definitely. (laughs) This is going to sound so silly, but I feel like something like this, for me, I know it's super cumbersome and super time-consuming, and I'm not right. very good at it. I don't know. For me, it's like liberating <laughs> to hear there's actually someone that does this. There, yeah, there are people, yeah, bookkeepers that really actually enjoy looking at people's numbers, you know, and figuring out like where your cash flow is going and helping you to have a more, run a more efficient business. Yeah. And so, and and you're saying this and I, and I just wanted to articulate it which, a little bit more. So you said part of the goal of this, I guess the big goal is you have, you're trying to figure out where cash flow is going, right? And That's correct. as a business owner, again, this might be a really silly question, but why is that important? 
Yeah, you know, there's quite a few reasons, but I think most important reason is one, you want to stay in business, Mm -hmm. right? You're not going into business to be out of business and within five years, which most businesses do because they don't understand their finances and they don't have control of their cash flow. Mm -hmm. So you definitely want to know like how much money is going out for your expenses, how much money you have coming in. And then you also, you want to categorize those. Okay. And one of the reasons for categorizing is IRS. <laughs> At the end of the year, when you have to pay your taxes and you go see your accountant, they're going to ask you like, where'd you spend your money? You know, you need your expenses categorized. You need to know where your cash went and what money came into the business so that the accountant can file your taxes correctly. It's a way of like giving almost like a big picture overview of where money is going, those kind of things. Right. And you know, I was, as you were talking, I was thinking about one thing, like I could also see this, like having good bookkeeping could also curb things like impulse buying, right? So oh, definitely, you know, I've been guilty of this. I know that I, I imagine if as you guys are <laughs> like, you know, you go and like, look, let's say it's, you know, Black Friday or Cyber Monday, right? right. Oh, so-and-so has this online course on sale or this <laughs> software is on sale. And so my right. clients have done that. Yes. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's something that, yeah, that, that's happened. Right. So it's, and, and that happens. And so, so then the tendency might be like, oh, look at our bank account. Oh, look, I got money in there. Okay. So I'm good. But something like bookkeeping, this can give you a more accurate gauge of, you know, what does it actually make sense for me to be spending this money right now? It's almost like a more, that's right. It, it counterbalances that emotional part of us that wants to make buying decisions. Yeah, exactly. It's so funny. I I think this was elementary school. I actually, I think we used to have this in elementary school. We used to go to this. It was like a, I think it was day long, maybe a couple of day long. It was called Enterprise City. And so it was basically this mock city that we we went to as a field trip. And then you had like little businesses and within the business, you had different roles. I actually think I was a bookkeeper. for <laughs> Really? That's cool. But I don't even remember, like, yeah. I remember the term, but the way you explained it is the first time it's like, oh, wow, this makes sense. <laughs> I wanted to shift a little bit, which, and get to the meat of this episode, which is really talking about some of the mistakes that, that clinicians make. And what I, you know, we were talking, I was like, let's just break it. Let's just figure out like the top five ones and let's really dive deep into those. How does that sound? Yeah, that sounds great. Okay. So what would you say is like the first like common bookkeeping mistake that a clinician in private practice makes? You know, I think, I mean, this is a business mistake and a bookkeeping mistake, I think, and is one mixing business and personal bank accounts. Hmm. That's the number one thing, I think, for um, most people, especially when you're starting out in your business, you're not sure if you're going to have enough income to support your business. So you, some business owners start using their, begin using their personal account to kind of fund their business. So this might be, again, a, a silly question. I feel like I'm full of silly questions today. Oh, it's fine. For someone that's starting out like that, right, that maybe does not have clients coming in, right, it, it is wise to have some, like a buffer, right? Right. So that's correct. What do you do in that scenario? Do you set up like a separate business account and then transfer some of your personal? Like, what's the better way to do it? Yeah, definitely. So you would set up a business account, and it's really, you know, nowadays it's kind of really easy to set up a business bank account. Hmm. It's not difficult to do at all. And so once you have your business bank account set up, and then you can just take some money out of your personal account and put that into your business and that's equity into your business. Got and it. so then you have like some like a little bit of funding there for your business to get going. 
Do you recommend doing that at like the same bank? Like should your personal and your business be the same bank or different banks? Or, or do you have a hard and fast rule on that? It doesn't really matter so much to me, but I find that being at the same bank is a lot easier when you're transferring money. Because if uh, it's at a different bank and you transfer money, it might take three to five days for that money to show up. But if it's at your bank, then it might be overnight or that same day. It just money just goes right into the account. So it seems like it, it seems like it moves a little faster with your own bank. Okay. And I know that sometimes there's like transaction fees if you go from one bank to another. Right. Sometimes right. there's that as well. Yeah. So you can that's actually a great point. So so essentially then your recommendation in an ideal situation would be to have a personal bank account and then the business bank account, ideally in the same bank. That's right? correct. Yeah. And it is okay to take money from a personal, like to have some capital, but it's more, is it for record keeping purposes? Is it for tax purposes? Like what's the need to like have it separate like that? Yeah. Just, yeah. Separating your business and your personal bank accounts is really for the, well, there's a couple of things. One is for the IRS again, mm-hmm. because if you're constantly using your personal account for your business, the IRS might decide that you really don't have a business. So you can't be writing off those expenses or it can get a little messy. If you go to, let's say you go to Target and try to buy some office supplies, but then you also add some personal items in there and then you have things mixed up between business and personal. What's and to kind of keep track of those is, is really kind of a little messy. Mm. So it's better if everything was just totally separate. That way, I mean, if there was, if, you know, if it did happen that you happen to get audited one day, then the IRS knows that, oh, this is the business account. All the money in the business account should be for business purposes. Got it. So in that example of going to Target, should you have like two different transactions, like one using like a business card and the other like a personal card if you have situations Yeah, exactly. Like Exactly. Yeah. Use two different transactions and then keep the receipt. (laughs) You know, that's the other big thing is sometimes people don't keep receipts. It's fine to take a picture of the receipt, you know, but you should have some sort of copy of the receipt. Yeah. I know for the tax like software that I use, like I just take a picture like on my phone and my gosh, that saves so much time. (laughs) That saves a lot of time. I do that now too. It's so, it's so easy. You know, you go out to eat or something and you have a business meal or something and then you take a picture of the receipt. It's a lot easier than carrying it around, take it home, and then put it in a shoebox or whatever people do nowadays. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's easier to take a picture of it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And it's all categorized. So so the first one is mixing personal and business bank accounts. That's like a common mistake. So, And your suggestion is to then have two different accounts. And even in the day-to-day transactions, make sure right. that like if you're at a store, have it like two different transactions, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, what's like a second common mistake? Yeah, I think after that, yeah, once you have the um, your business bank account, um, the second common mistake I th- would be just not looking at the numbers at all and not looking at how your business is doing other than maybe just checking your bank account and see that you have money in it. I see. Almost like, I don't know, and I, I used that phrase earlier, like either just being an ostrich where you like stick your head in the sand. Right. That's like one end or like getting a false sense of, oh, I have such and such amount of money right in the bank. And so I can right. justify this cost, but we're not, you may not be thinking like that actually may be earmarked for like a future expense or something. Yeah, exactly. You know, and I've talked to quite a few practitioners who do not look at their numbers until maybe the end of the year, hmm. you know, just to organize it for taxes. Right. I've talked to practitioners who are just, they're just very anxious around numbers, you know, and looking at any kind of finances. Right. And they don't oh, want to deal with them. Sometimes they hire me to kind of get everything organized for them. So, right. Yeah, no, absolutely. How often, yeah. I guess, should we be looking at numbers if it's not every year? Not that I do that. 
(laughs) (laughs) Um, I I would say at least once a month, Mm. at least once a month, you should, you should categorize all your transactions and uh, take a look at your financial statements. Right. And And the big three financial statements are the balance sheet, the profit and loss statement, which is also called an income statement, and then the cash flow. Got it. And break those, like quickly break down those. So the balance sheet, what is that? Balance sheet kind of gives you a snapshot of where your business is at on a certain day. And in that, you can see your assets, the things that you own, your bank accounts, how much money is in there, your liabilities, maybe any kind of credit card payments, any credit cards you owe money to. And then also like any kind of like money you've like taken out of the business. Hmm. You can see that on the balance sheet. The income statement or profit and loss statement, some people call it, kind of shows just where your income is coming from and then also where your expenses are going. Mm-hmm. So you look at your income and expenses and it shows if you're profitable. And then your cash flow just kind of shows kind of the, the flow of cash, like your liabilities, what you're paying money to, and then also what money comes in. Right. Greg, so this is sort of a like an offshoot question, but I yeah. know that a lot of like clinicians struggle with this, which is the nature of a helping profession is that there are these ups and downs, right, to the business, right? So for example, during holiday season, it might be a little slower, a summer vacation, that kind of stuff, right? So with that in mind, how do you, like with the cash flow aspect, like how do you anticipate those ups and downs? Like, is it more that the longer you're in business, you kind of get into this ebb and flow? I don't know if that, that sort of makes sense. Yeah, no, that, that totally makes sense. And really that kind of leads us into number three, which is, you know, not looking at your financial statements, mm. you know, because looking at your financial statements every month, you can see maybe trends in your business, maybe how much you can, you can see how much money you're able to save maybe for an emergency fund. You can notice when your slow months are. But yeah, it does take a little time to figure out, especially something like slow months for many practitioners or slow months or maybe June and July. Mm. And so you, that kind of goes off of just trends and just tracking that information. And a lot of the, and that's information can be found on your financial statements. Right. So I guess the other side of that is if you don't look at your financial statement, you can almost get to like a June and July and, and then now you're panicking because you're trying to figure out like where do the clients go? So now it becomes both like this sort of financial struggle, but also right. becomes an emotional one, which I know that a lot of colleagues go through, which is I should have never gotten into this. I should, yeah. you know, that kind of narrative. Right. Um, so, and then you recommend looking at financial statements every month. Is that right? Yeah. You should be looking at those at least every month to see where your money's going and then how much money you have and then what kind of income you had that month. It might be a slower month mm-hmm. than you thought, you know, and then that kind of helps a lot with like knowing how much to pay yourself, right? Right. <laughs> right. Yes. You don't want to pay yourself more money than you make in a month typically. <laughs> so yeah, right. Yeah. Especially you don't want to like lose that buffer. Right. Exactly. Um, that makes a lot of sense. And I think again, to like reemphasize that, I think especially in a helping profession where it is as like a service-based field, that's really important because of that natural volatility that can come. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, okay, so again, just to review, number one is mixing personal and business bank accounts. Right. Number two is not looking at the numbers accurately. Number three is not looking at your financial statements. What about number four? Yeah, number four, I would say is just one, um, when you're making payments to yourself, make sure that it's an owner's draw. I know it sounds kind of a little technical. <laughs> you know, yeah, that but, sounds really but, like technical yeah. and 
Kind of yes. What exactly is that? Yeah. Well, I guess I should back up a little bit there. One, you know, make sure you have bookkeeping software. <laughs> you know, it seems like many um, clinicians, at least that I talk to, they do have bookkeeping software, but they're just not keeping track of their numbers. Right. Is there certain ones that you recommend? Like I use FreshBooks, but I know there's lots of other good ones. So is there one that you recommend? I recommend QuickBooks mm-hmm. online, not the desktop version, but QuickBooks online. And I am actually a QuickBooks certified user. I got certification through QuickBooks on that. And I would say about 70% of businesses use QuickBooks. It's been around the longest, I think, of any bookkeeping software and they know what they're doing. Their customer service is excellent. Hmm. But there's other ones out there like Zero. I think, is the next most popular one. Hmm. I have some people that ask me about Wave. Wave is like a free bookkeeping software. I'm not, you know, I don't really have much of an opinion on that right now. I've never really used that software, but I, I know some clinicians that use it because it's free. So those are some good recommendations. So you said payments to yourself, owners draw, like what exactly is owners draw? Yeah. Yeah. So basically when you're, you have money in your business. So after you pay out all your expenses, you have this extra money in your business that we, we call equity. So it's money left over after you take your income, you subtract all your expenses from that liabilities. And then you um, have money in the business. And then when you take money out of the business, you classify that as an owner's draw. I've had some clinicians that, you know, would say, oh, that's an expense, you know, on the business when I, when they pay themselves. But what that does is that underestimates your profit in the business. Oh, Um, interesting. So they're counting the amount they're paying themselves as a business expense. Right. Exactly. And what, and again, really silly question, is it for tax purposes? Is that why they're doing it? Like to count as a ta- write-off or what? Yeah, that's what they're doing in their business, but that's not the way you're supposed to, you should be doing it. Interesting. Yeah, you shouldn't take your pay as an expense. Now, there is sometimes, you know, the owner of the business might draw, have like a paycheck and that's fine. You can actually pay yourself a paycheck and you pay taxes on that money when you get your paycheck. But when you do like what's called an owner's draw, or you just take money out of the business for your personal needs, then that's actually considered an owner's draw, which actually just takes out of the equity account. And then you end up paying taxes on that money yourself at the, usually at the end of the year or quarterly sometimes. And it sounds like, I guess doing that other thing of counting as expense, that's potential red flag, definite red flag. Oh yeah, definitely. Okay. And so, okay, that makes sense. So taking money out of the business and then again, offshoot question, how often should you pay yourself? Like once a month, twice a month, every week? You know, that's really up to you as a business owner, how often you do that. I have some clients who pay themselves once a month, you know, on a set schedule and then others who pay themselves like weekly. Hmm. So it really depends on it depends on you and your expenses and you just have to think about your personal life and like what kind of how much money you need to be making to kind of support yourself right. and to pay your bills, you know, and so that'll really determine that, you know, um, but then also like when you receive payment, I mean, do you're, are you waiting for insurance to pay you, you know, in your business? And if you are, then you might, you know, wait till that comes in before you pay yourself. Right. So there's a lot of these, I guess, X factors and unique circumstances that might be applicable to the clinician. Yeah. 
uh, which is why having a bookkeeper is probably a good idea. <laughs> well, it's good. Yeah, it's good because, because I mean, uh, as you said earlier, I mean, sometimes, um, well, actually not everyone is good at numbers, right? There's people who actually like looking at the numbers, you know, and definitely if you're one of those people who are not good at numbers, you should be hiring a bookkeeper, someone who knows what to do with those numbers. And that'll help you really in the long run with your business of, you know, just knowing your cash flow and your business and being able to help you with just staying in business. Mm. So. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so what's the, the last tip that you have for us? The last tip really is, you know, don't do it all on your own. You know, I think that's really a big one for most business owners is that you go into business and you think that, oh, I can do, you know, you try to do everything on your own. You don't want to pay anyone to do anything. You're trying to learn everything yourself, but it's really overwhelming to try to learn everything. Hmm. And so like personal experience, I, what you just described is what I tried to do with STC for mm-hmm. the first couple of years. And it's, it, to your point, that's exactly what happened. I, I realized I only had a finite amount of time and no matter how much I learned, like more than half of this stuff is constantly getting updated, right? So I don't have the time to be able right. to like constantly learn and relearn and stay updated. But I also learned a, a valuable lesson, which I haven't like, I'm, I'm like slowly learning this, which is yeah. that as a business grows, right? The, the smart business owner, what they do is they, they realize like time is their most valuable asset, right? And right, then, exactly. And they take a step back and they say, what are, I forgot where I heard this, but basically this idea of, can somebody do what I'm doing at eight, at least 80% of the quality that I'm doing it currently? And if the answer is yes, then it might be something that's worth delegating out. Yeah, that's great advice. Totally. <laughs> and, yeah, I do, I do that in my own business. I mean, I, I, I'm not good at everything. You know, sure, I can do the numbers, but there's other things that I have to hire like a business coach to help me with and get organized. Yeah, and I think just from like also like a self-care perspective, right? right? We we all it's not like we're building these businesses in vacuums, right? We are dealing with parents who are ill, we've got kids in daycare, like right. we've got kids that are sick, like all these other X factors, right? And time really is limited. And so what we have to do is we have to it's almost like figure out what's how much do you want to work in the business versus work on the business, right? Right, exactly. Yeah, and where do you want to spend your time in your business? Right. Yeah. And I don't know, like, I think even this conversation, it's made me realize I I need to have a a better system and definitely need to consider hiring out because I like numbers, but the reality is just with everything in my own life, it's so hard to always do this on a schedule, you know? Yeah, exactly. And and so what, for me, at least what happens is I like let a couple of months pass and I'm like, oh man, I got to do that. Right. Yeah. By then it's like, it kind of feels like a it turns into like a multiple hour chore almost sometimes. Yeah. I think especially with numbers, you know, at least the clinicians I've talked to, you know, sometimes I have a consult with someone and they say, Oh, I'll I'll get to my numbers. They haven't done it all year, but they keep telling me they'll get to it. They'll get to it. You know, and sometimes, you know, they'll call me back and say, can you take care of this for me? (laughs) Because they realize after, you know, after weeks and weeks go by and you still haven't done it, you realize that, Oh, I need to actually have someone do this for me. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, and I also like, especially with numbers, one of the things I realized is if you have someone, like it's like having a good accountant, right? So if you have a good accountant, you pay them, usually they can find things where that can actually save you money, right? So that the money you pay them is negligible. It's like, you know, 
it's such a small amount compared to like all the savings you might have. So yeah, same thing for bookkeeping. Same thing. Greg, thank you so much for doing this. I know this is like such a wealth of information. You provide some wonderful services to clinicians. I was wondering if you could just tell us a little bit about it and where we can learn more about it. Yeah. So my website is growthebooks.com and I do offer a free consult. And the few ser- the services that I offer are one, yearly cleanup. You know, if, if you haven't done your books all year and you need someone to go in and clean them up for you for the entire year, then I definitely do that. I also do a review. If you maybe you've done your books all year, but then you you're not quite real, com- you're not confident that you categorize things correctly and your books are correct. I'll also go in and review that for you if you would like. And then I offer payroll services and then also a monthly um, package where I'll just take care of your books every month and I'll categorize all your transactions, reconcile your accounts to make sure your bank accounts uh, match up with your bookkeeping software, and then also have a quarterly meeting with you to look over your financial statements. Perfect. Greg, I'm so grateful you provide this service because I know that a lot of us struggle with this and you are passionate about numbers. And yeah, so I am. Glad. I love numbers. I always have. <laughs> Thank yeah. you again for doing this, Craig. You're welcome. Thank you for having me on your podcast. I appreciate no it. No problem. Have a great rest of your day. All right. You too. Hey there. Hope you enjoyed my conversation with Greg. And I hope that especially if the thought of keeping accurate records for your business, if it's been intimidating or it's something that you've put off, I hope that today's podcast session has been hopeful and encouraging for you. Uh, With some of these topics, especially ones that I know can be a little bit more emotionally triggering, I hope that this episode especially, I, I hope that it was more helpful than, you know, kind of made things more distressing for you. Greg mentioned a number of resources and you can find that over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash session dash 180. And again, Greg's website is at growthebooks.com. I was thinking a lot about this session and some of the things that I took away. And one of the things that I, well, a couple of things. One is the importance of not mixing personal with business accounts. I know that it sounds like common sense, but I can't tell you the amount of clinicians and that do struggle with this, especially when we're first starting out, right? Because it's this sort of fear of like, oh, am I ready to fully jump in? What if you know, what if I don't make money and all those kind of things. And that suggestion with Greg of just creating a business account and then also having your personal account, but then using some of your personal money into that, taking putting that into your business account, that's a, a way to do it, right? That's also then it shows up in terms of tax purposes, record keeping and all of that stuff instead of just having it all under your personal account. The other thing that I really took away was just, for me, that I need to do a better job of looking at my own financial statements. And and I know for me, what usually happens is I have this moment of panic. And so that usually leads me to not actually look at them. But at some point, what I realized is if I want the business to continue to grow, I need to not always make emotional decisions, but I need to continue to look at things objectively and see whether certain financial decisions, they make sense based on the numbers versus just me thinking that that they make sense. Have a great rest of your day and uh, I'll see you next time. Bye. 
Thanks for listening to the Selling the Couch podcast. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit www.sellingthecouch.com. Hey there, hope you enjoyed today's podcast session. And especially if this is your second time listening to this podcast session, I hope that you've picked up just a a new level of insight and something that helps you on your private practice journey. As I mentioned at the beginning, I will be back with new episodes very soon. And before we wrap up again, just wanted to encourage you to check out the Selling the Couch directory over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash directory. Um, I actually wanted to use this time just to talk a little bit more about not just the director, but what we're doing and what my big vision for STC is. You know, as Selling the Couch grows, uh, what really weighs on me is how do we use um, our influence and how do we use the resources? And for me, how do I steward well um, all of what I'm creating? And so we're actually taking 50% of the profits from directory sales to create a scholarship fund for kids who have been rescued from brothels in the commercial sex trade. Um, When I was a grad student, I um, was very fortunate to work three weeks in Bombay, India with a NGO and with social workers in Kamartipura, which is the largest concentrated red light district in the world. Um, it's the largest red light district in Asia. And uh, I spent three weeks there, um, spent uh, a day right in the heart of the center of the red light district, um, going into brothels, with um with with the social workers um doing lots of education on everything from HIV AIDS um all the way to uh trying to figure out what what some of these workers the challenges they were facing and I spent the majority of my time about 5 hours away um helping at a school where the kids of these workers um were were and uh just to teaching different classes, uh, getting to spend time with them, reading bedtime stories to the little ones. And f- uh, ever since all of that happened, I just have always felt like, man, if I ever get the chance to do some big things in the world, I want to make sure that uh, everything I create uh, leads to something way bigger than me. And so, um, and fortunately, selling the couch happened and now the STC directory is happening. And so this is where... Uh, I'm hoping that, you know, we can dedicate our time and our resources. And I really have some big plans as we go forward with this. Again, you can learn more about the Selling the Couch directory over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash directory. Be sure to enter the promo code podcast to get your first month absolutely free. Hey friends, we are on sabbatical from the STC podcast. This is my first sabbatical in seven years, but we will be back in April with brand new episodes of the STC podcast. In the meantime, there are a lot of things happening still with STC. Uh, Among them is a brand new workshop that we put together for you that you can sign up at a date and time that works for you. If you are a successful private practitioner and interested in launching an online course, you can check out that workshop over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash online course workshop. Again, that's sellingthecouch.com forward slash online course workshop. Have a great rest of your day and uh, I will see you next time. 
So if you've been listening to the STC podcast for a while, or you've been listening to podcasts and you've had this thought of, Mel, I would love to launch my own podcast in order to grow my business. Just wanted to encourage you to check out our free podcasting workshop, which is over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash podcasting workshop. You can basically sign up at a day and a time that works for you. It's 90 minutes. And when I do these workshops or when I record them, I truly believe in the quality teaching, so it's going to be well worth your time. We're going to go through gear recommendations and how to launch strategically and how to think about monetizing your podcast and how to line up your podcast with your existing offers and how to do it strategically and authentically uh, and not salesy and slimy um, and all of those things. So again, the link is over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash podcasting workshop.